All right. So thank there we go. Am I now being heard on Zoom? Yes. Yes. Okay, excellent. So I'll start over for you on Facebook. You've already heard, but I just want to let you know that if I walk, we'll go back and forth. I'm not trying to be annoying. I just have two different um, cameras going here. So just so you understand that. I also want to reiterate what Ronnie said just a couple minutes ago, and that is that share your questions, but also share your comments. And you might say, are you asking for comments just because you want comments? No, we want your participation in what is going on during this time. There are going to be times that I throw a question out and we want to hear your feedback on it. And so please be ready to share even if you're not sharing vocally, you're gonna share with everyone else another perspective. And that will be very clear in just a little while. In fact, not too little while right now, because we're discussing a topic which is so important. And I want you to know that I am not speaking to you as somebody who's apprehended. I'm not talking to you like, oh, I got this, now I hope you can learn. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you in dry times. Do not think ever that there is somebody walking with Jesus Christ who does not walk through these dry times. Sorry, I've got a little feedback here. I just need to close um, something. There we are. I want you to understand that this is not only normal. This is to be expected if you actually intend to walk with Jesus Christ during the course of your life. And, and let me make this point very clear. All right. Let's just walk through scripture. And this is where I want you to start throwing in your comments because you're going to come up with other examples that I don't mention. Think through people of God throughout the word of God that walked through dry times. I mean, first, think back to Abraham. Do you remember when Abraham was told that he was going to have this son, the son of promise? Now, after God told him, you're going to have the son of promise, I believe it was 13 years 13 years before really he heard something else from God and finally ended up having Isaac later on. That's a long silence. Here God says, hey, I'm going to work for you. <laughs> and then it was silence. Think about Moses. Moses, he was uh, left Egypt and he went in the wilderness and he took care of sheep for 40 years. Look, at, I'm guessing most of you watching are not even 40 years old. I mean, look at me, I'm, I'm what, uh, I'm 35. <laughs> See, it took even a little while to think of my age. I'm 35. That's more than my entire life. And that's just the time that Moses spent in the wilderness <laughs> watching sheep in that in-between phase. You might feel like you're in a long, dry season right now of your life, but be of good courage. Uh, Moses had 40 years of this. And then don't just go there. He goes to Egypt. And then what? He goes back into the wilderness for the last 40 years of his life. And he doesn't even get to walk into the promised land. You want a dry life? Look at Moses. Now, obviously, there were many beautiful moments of God encountering, uh, God encounters, but at the same time, it was dry. You walk through these different people. How about Elisha? Elisha. Do you remember when Elisha was called in 1 Kings 19? Elijah throws his cloak on him. It says in the last verse of that chapter, verse 21, it says, and then Elisha went and served Elijah. Do you realize how many years he served Elijah until he's ever mentioned again in scripture? About 14 to 18 years, Elisha is serving silence. 
not doing miracles, not doing anything that people would applaud and say, oh, good job, Elisha. What a man of God. 18 years of silence. You think that wasn't dry for him? It was dry. It, it, later on in 2 Kings chapter 3, we find out what was he doing. <laughs> he was washing the hands of Elijah. 18 years of silence. Hey, what about, uh, I mean, we can go many examples, but let's just go to John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1 verse 80. Do you realize that after he was born where he went and lived? He lived in the wilderness. Uh, how many years? Well, I'm going to guess about 30 years before his ministry started, since it was about the same time as Jesus Christ, and he was born shortly before. The point is, it, Jesus says there's, there hasn't been anyone born of a woman greater than John the Baptist, and yet he had the desert. And what about Jesus Christ? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus Christ had his dry moments of life. And that's what we want to talk about. This is going to be an open discussion. This can be a time where, where we can just enjoy being in the Word. I, I'm not aiming to just be articulate. I'm aiming for us to really have time to think on these things. Throw your questions in there because I'm going to guess that you're walking through some really dry times like right now, many of you. And, and it's not because of coronavirus. It's not because of COVID-19 or quarantine or social distancing or whatnot. That's not the, uh, we're talking about things that go way back further than that. You just feel dry. I got great news for you that these dry times do not mean whatsoever that God is far. And in fact, I would say he's as close. I mean, I know he's as close as ever because he'll never leave you, forsake you. But your opportunity to draw near to him is as close as ever. Get excited. But it's probably not going to look the way that you anticipate it looking. So we're going to dive in. We're going to look into the word of God. And we're going to see how do we move from this period of dryness into intimacy. But watch out. It doesn't mean you're going to leave the place of dryness. <laughs> it just means that there's intimacy even in dryness. And eventually he'll lead you into a period where maybe it's way easier. But just don't associate dryness as something to you're not walking with God. Okay, that's dangerous. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and I want to begin just by reading you a few verses to kind of give us a, a frame of mind, a frame of thought for uh, what, we're, what we're really looking at here when we think about dry territory in life. Now, this is Moses giving a recap to the children of Israel. I want you to pick up in verse 11, but we're really going to focus in on verse 15. It tells us, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness 
or sorry, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. All right, so this is really where we begin this whole topic. And, and I want you to see that God led them through the terrifying and great wilderness. This is important for us to think about because if we don't, we might start to think that we're on the wrong track. I would suggest anyone who wants to walk with God will be led into the wilderness, just like we see the Lord Jesus being led into the wilderness. You can get another frame of mind if you went to a place like uh, Matthew chapter um, 14, Matthew chapter um, 8. There's two different stories being on the water there, but, but I'm thinking Mark 4. And, and if you remember when Jesus um, the, like told them to get in the boat and they're going to cross over to the other side, or in the story where they're in the boat and they see him walking on the water, um, you see that Jesus led them. And I can say he led them into a storm. Uh, in other words, he led them into a situation which tested their faith. Here we see he led the children of Israel into the wilderness. So understand there is a leading of the Holy Spirit that leads us into places we would never choose to go. And chances are many of you are in that place right now. So the question we have to ask is this, what is the purpose of this place? Well, the word of God tells us what the purpose is. You've got to keep the purpose in mind. If you lose sight of the purpose, you're going to lose sight of what God is doing and then how we are to respond to what God is doing. Look down at verse 16. He fed you in the wilderness, this manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that's a purpose, and test you, that's a purpose, to do you good in the end, and that's a purpose. And what good in the end? Well, ultimately to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now let's think through this a little bit more. He wants to test us. Now, this is going to be all groundwork, and that's why I'm doing this at the beginning, okay? Now, um, the, the Facebook feed might not see it as well, but I'm going to just readjust your, your screen there. I want you to be able to see that board behind me. There's nothing on it right now, so it's not like you're seeing it, and uh, I think you guys can see it. Now, it doesn't mean you can see it uh, like abundantly like close up or whatever the case is, but I do just want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to think through a couple things with me here. Um, and so I'll try to do this in a very uh, simple way. There's a big problem we make in our faith when we confuse two different words, two words which, uh, which are very, um, let me just say, very different, and yet sometimes we mix them up, all right? Um, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to navigate my territory here so that you all can... Uh, See well. All right, let's try this. The two words are these. We have the word feeling or feelings, and we have the word faith. We must not confuse our feelings and our faith as being the same thing because they are not the same thing whatsoever. Uh, now, it's nice. We all would agree it's nice when our feelings line up with our faith. That's great. When our feelings line up with our faith, it's easy to follow Jesus Christ. It's just, it's not a struggle. But let's be honest. Our feelings oftentimes don't line up with our faith. And what I mean by that is this. What controls our feelings? Think through it. What controls our feelings? Well, our feelings are controlled by our flesh. 
Our faith is controlled by the Spirit of God. Understand this difference. And now again, you're saying, well, so sometimes does my flesh go along with the Spirit? No, not so much, but as the Spirit of God controls us, there is a peace, there is a joy, there is a hope, there is a blessedness, there's a passion that comes through following Christ. Let me tell you that I love walking with the Lord. I love his word. I enjoy him. But it doesn't mean I always feel like doing a certain something. It doesn't mean my flesh is always like, oh, wow, yeah, this is the first primary option. All right. So just understand that there is um, a difference there. Another thing is this. If we go by our feelings, our feelings can oftentimes confuse. Our feelings can confuse us, whereas our faith will clarify so you might feel confused today as we talk about this subject because you say, but this is what I see or what do I do here? Understand our feelings can confuse. But when we live off of faith, what we do is we have a clarification. And that's because our faith has a foundation or I could say it fits. It fits. Our faith, our faith maybe changes, but what our faith is based on does not change. It is fixed on the word of God. It's fixed on who he is. So we've got to just understand from the beginning that when we're talking about faith, there's a fixed thing. Feelings, feelings aren't fixed. Feelings fluctuate. They fluctuate. We know that. You probably don't feel the same today as you did yesterday. That's normal. Our feelings, I mean, we go through so many things. We go through physical pain. We go through emotional pain. We go through trials and hardships. But there's something I say often, and I'll say it again to you right now that the circumstances in which you find yourself today are perfectly suited for you to fully glorify God. I'll say it again. The circumstances in which you find yourself today are perfectly suited, even if it's quarantine, perfectly suited for you to fully glorify God. See, God's not restricted by your circumstances. Instead, we are restricted oftentimes by our feelings. And that brings up the next thing. You see, this right here, this is based on circumstances. Feelings are based on circumstances. That's why we can't go off of this, because circumstances fluctuate. But faith is based on the word of God. No shock there, right? You all know that. Uh, something else is this. Feelings. Feelings tend to be dominated by what we see with earthly eyes, all right? Earthly eyes. But then we have, obviously, here... What did we do? We see with eternal eyes. In other words, we don't just see what is right now. What does it, what does it say in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18? We don't look at the things we see, but at the things we don't see, because the things we see are temporary, but the things we don't see are eternal. Okay, now let's get back into this passage of Deuteronomy 8. You see, feelings are going to see trials or testing as they'll see trials as negative, as a negative. But faith, <laughs> watch this, faith sees trials as needed. It doesn't mean that we like, oh, yes, another trial. Praise God, let's go. No, but, but faith knows that the trials of our faith produce patience. 
they know that if we are to know the Lord more, he's going to take us through circumstances in which, uh, in which we ultimately can know him more. And so that being said, um, to see the difference between this negative side and the needed side. Also, feelings oftentimes doesn't mean, I'm not saying that as an absolute, okay? But feelings oftentimes are very self-focused. It doesn't mean that because you can be feeling something for someone else and that's concern. But I believe that we're feeling for someone else because of our faith. So you see, our faith can control our feelings, but our feelings should not control our faith. Does that make sense? Um, so with that being said, just see the fact that there can be a self-focus versus a savior focus. Um, there's a couple more that we could, we could mention, but I think that's enough for us just to understand that idea. Now there's one more thing, just groundwork that's important. And that is that this whole trials idea, this whole testing idea, you notice in Deuteronomy eight, it says that he took them out there to test them. But then you read Matthew chapter four and you see that Jesus Christ is led into the wilderness, similar to these children of Israel. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted. Now, we know that God tempts no man, James chapter 1. So, if it's temptation, it's not from God. Temptation would be from, uh, from the enemy. But we have to understand something about temptation um, versus uh, temptation versus testing. When you come to the Greek of it, it's actually oftentimes the same word. Now, there are multiple words that could be used, but oftentimes it is the same word. And so we could translate something as a test or as a temptation. So you say, well, how do we know which one it is? And it really depends on which direction it comes from. And so the direction it comes from really is important for us understanding um, what's going on. But I want to go a step further. And this is really where we're going to focus. And we're not going to be in Deuteronomy 8. We're going to be a little bit earlier in the wilderness over in Exodus. But Here's what I want you to see. This is, don't, don't miss this. If you miss this, you're going to be confused when these things happen in your life. Understand that when the Lord is testing you, Deuteronomy 8, when he leads you into a test, which is oftentimes dry times. And let me say it like this. When you're going through an exam, the teacher is silent. Teachers don't teach during an exam with their voice, do they? They're there is a teaching going on, but the teacher is most silent during an exam. So when the Lord is testing us, it might feel like he's silent, but actually it's a great opportunity for intimacy, for drawing near to him. Okay, now think, think through this. When you're being tested by God, you can understand and know that simultaneously the enemy will most likely be tempting you. And this is going to come out in a story we're going to look at. I want you to see that when you're walking through dry times, it's not that God's testing isn't working. It's that there's another loud voice. And you see, what does God want to do when he tests you? He wants to convict you. And he convicts you so that you might be changed, conformed into his image. But... At the same time, the enemy wants to tempt you that you might feel condemned or that you might be distracted. There are many purposes that he could easily um, throw at you. Now, I'll give you an example of this. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you remember Paul. 
and Paul is uh, talking about a thorn he had in the flesh. And when you get down to like verse seven, and he says that he prayed three times for this thorn to be removed. But, but then he finds out what is this thorn about? He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that I might not become conceited. And this is important because it's confusing. First of all, the thorn was so he would not become conceited. Well, who doesn't want us to become conceited? God. God doesn't want us to be conceited. He doesn't want us to have this life of, of focused on self, of self-confidence, of pride. And so God desires that our pride be broken, that we live in humility, that his person, his character, his work would be exalted, lifted up, preached through the way we live our life, the way that uh, the way we speak, whatever the case might be. But what's happening? It says a messenger of Satan is there. How does this work? How is there a messenger of Satan, but also the thorn is so that he would not become conceited? I want you to understand that when God is at work, when there's a test going on there, because God said, no, 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 to can this thorn be removed? Can this difficulty be removed? Can this dry time be removed? God said, no. But then he says, my grace is sufficient. What, what's his point? His point is he does not want us to just uh, evacuate from our trials. He doesn't just want us to quickly get out of our testing. Why do I say that? Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. What does it say? It, it tells us that there's no temptation. By the way, that word temptation could be translated testing. There's no temptation that's overtaken any man that's not common. And then it says, with every temptation, he has also provided a way of escape. And we love that. Yes, a way of escape. No, but there's more to the verse. It says that he may be able to endure it. Does that make sense? That he may be able to endure it. God's way of working with you and me during these dry times, it's not to evacuate us from the dry time. That'd be nice. That'd be fabulous. <laughs> but it's so that we can endure. There's endurance that goes on. And in a very real way, I mean, when you think about eternity with the Lord Jesus, your whole life is a dry time. I mean, honestly, it's beautiful. I love, again, I, I love the intimacy that God shows and shares. It, it, it says very clearly in John 14, 21, that he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me, my father will love, and I will love, and I will manifest myself to him. I'll show myself to him. He'll enjoy intimacy with me. So understand that there is, a beauty, and there is this enjoyment of God, but there are also dry times in the same path. So, to sum up before we get to our main passage, when you're being tested, the enemy is probably also tempting you. And understand there is a difference between feelings and faith. Again, I'm not saying feelings always go against your faith, because our faith can at times control our feelings, but we can't let our feelings control our faith. And also, you can just think about this too, our salvation. What's already been saved? Well, my spirit's saved because I've been given this, uh, the spirit of God, and my soul, my soul is ultimately saved, but my body's not yet saved. It will be saved. And so just understand that there is still a war in the flesh that is going on, um, and, uh, and that's important to keep in mind. So with the, all of that in mind, I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Now I'll give you a minute to turn there. Exodus 15. 
I'm wondering, did you all come up with some other examples in scripture that you can share in the chat about others that went through long, dry periods? Um, I, there are many in scripture, so think through that and feel free to share. So Exodus 15, and what we're going to see here is we're going to see what God actually wants to do in our dry times. And, uh, and, and I hope, too, that even in your questions, it can, we can bring out some other elements of the desert life, because there's so much there that even in coming to this, I wanted to share with you. But I kind of centered in on this passage because it, it just kind of ties it all together. But um, we can go a lot of other different directions. So uh, anyway, I appreciate some of the questions coming in, and we can definitely address those after. So Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Okay, so let's just think through this um, in a couple different uh, ways. Now, going back to the beginning of this passage, notice where they're at. It says they went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. Just, we're talking about dry spiritual times, aren't we? Well, here we have a physical picture of that. This is a dry place. It's not just a, it's not just a wilderness that's dry. It's a dry place where they have no water. So, I mean, it's dry upon dry. It's the two combined together. I don't know if you've ever walked in the wilderness or in, uh, in a desert, but, um, but I, I have. I lived in the desert for many years, and I've actually been in the Sinai Peninsula many a time, um, gone on long hikes there, and uh, one thing about the Sinai Peninsula is don't picture it as just like sandy dunes. That's not the kind of desert it is. It's a very, very rocky terrain. It's a very, um, very hilly mountainous terrain. Um, it's, it, it's tough walking. But the one thing that really stands out to me when I'm walking in the Sinai Peninsula is that everything kind of looks the same. Um, it's, it's just very let's say it's beautiful, but it's just very much uh, yeah, the same for lack of a better word. And you know, in those kinds of situations of life, you can also feel very dry. You can feel sort of like you're stuck in a pattern where life isn't changing, or you feel stuck in a way where it, it, it's like, where am I supposed to go? Now, remember this, that when we, got, when we get to Deuteronomy chapter one, uh, God, it tells them to move on and go on, but you'll remember that it says that the journey that they were supposed to have taken was an 11-day journey in Deuteronomy 1 to 11 days. Now, how long did it take for them to go 11 days? It took them 40 years. 
40 years to go 11 day journey. And the thing about that is we can easily think, man, God has just like abandoned me. But the truth of the matter is he didn't abandon them, but he taught them. Now it was through their sin that they were there 40 years. I understand that. But at the same time, this is not abandonment. So now think about this. It says they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Three days in the wilderness and found no water. Why is this so important? Well, I want us to walk back a little bit because this is going to make us understand what is actually going on. It's a dry place, but there is a design to the place. There's a design. What's the design? Exodus chapter 3, God speaking to Moses. He says this. He says uh, that, that Moses is supposed to say in verse 18 to Pharaoh, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You see that? Three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice. Just like Exodus, they go three days in the wilderness. Well, go to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus 5 verse 3. Moses is talking to Pharaoh and he says, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. <laughs> Again, three days journey to sacrifice to the Lord their God. How about um, Exodus chapter 7? Exodus chapter 7, verse, um, verse 16. It says, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Okay, again, go in the wilderness, serve him. One more. Exodus chapter 8, verse 27. We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. Okay, this is going to get exciting now. Think about it. Three days journey, chapter three, three days journey, chapter five, three days journey, chapter eight. They're going to go in the wilderness, three days journey, time to serve, time to sacrifice, time to worship. It's clear, crystal clear. This is the design of that place. This is their purpose. Do it. But God leads them through the Red Sea miraculously. And then in chapter 15, verse 22, it says they went a three days journey into the wilderness and it's like, let's finish the sentence. And they worshiped God and they served God and they sacrificed to God. That's not what happened. They went three days into the wilderness and they found no water. Let me ask you, do you think that surprised God? Do you think it surprised God that at the very moment they were supposed to worship that they found no water. I think this is the way God typically allows things to happen. The very moment that he is testing us, he somehow in his divine sovereignty does allow, like Job chapter one, he allows the enemy to at times throw things out there which could distract, but really it's a platform for God's glory. So don't think it's really a negative thing. Think ultimately, this is a chance to show the value of God. You see, they could have said, there is no water. We're at the point of death, and yet we will worship because that is what he said. See, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know how dry you feel. I don't know the, the, the emotional turmoil going on, but you know the word of God. You know what he's told you. And what he wants is he wants an attitude of thankfulness. He wants praise. He says the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for worshipers 
not worshipers because the situation is ideal, worshipers because our God is worthy. And what happens? They go three days into the, into the wilderness and they find no water and that distracts them from ultimately the purpose that they were supposed to pursue at that point. And so that was the design of the place, but that's not the end of the story. You see, then they come to Mara, and now there is water. Now there is water, but what happens with that water? The water, they can't drink it. So first of all, they're in a dry place. There's no water. And the design of that place, they ignore. But then they find water. It's like, yes, finally, I'm getting a breakthrough. <laughs> and in that breakthrough, it, it wasn't what they had hoped for. Have you ever had that happen? Maybe you want to share something in a comment about the time that happened to you. You're just waiting, waiting, waiting for something. And finally it happened and it was a pure disappointment. I, I want to challenge you that the things that you think right now are obstacles, maybe for some of you, it's in your local church and you wish things were different. You wish that there was more initiative. You wish that your ideas had a voice. I want to challenge you that you see it as an obstacle, but God is giving it to you as an opportunity to glorify him that in your patience, in your gentleness, in your love unconditionally, in your honoring, in your respect, but also in your passion for Christ in the places that you can express that, that he's actually giving you the opportunity to praise him when there's no water to praise him when the water is salty and undrinkable or bitter. But notice what happens instead. They start to grumble. They start to whine. They start to complain. This is a basic, basic uh, lesson as a believer that when it's time to worship, the enemy wants you to whine. He wants you to complain. But I got good news for you. You actually can reverse all of this. Because I think it's easier sometimes to kind of hear what the enemy's saying to me than to hear what God's saying. What do I mean by that? I mean, my flesh is pretty loud. Let's just be honest. My flesh can really blast out saying, Nathan, this is what you want. But you know, when I'm tempted to complain, and what is complaining? Complaining is to boldly declare that God is not fully good. When I complain, that's what I'm saying, right? I'm saying, my God's not fully good. Yeah. It's brutal. It's ugly before God. When we complain, we are disrespecting his holy character. But when I'm tempted to complain, I got good news for you. You know, take it like on your phone, right? You just take your phone. You can set an alarm clock, right? You just put that alarm in there and it's like, uh, beep, 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 beep. That's what the temptation to complain is. Let it be an alarm clock saying, oh, you know what? I think I've just gone three days journey into the wilderness. I think it's time to worship. See, you might be in dry times, but understand, there is something you can give God in dry times that you will not give him when everything is blooming and in season. And that's a form of worship that he desires. He wants worship when you're in the storm. He wants worship when you're in the desert. Some of you maybe remember, I know in India, a few of you were there um, when I gave a message on... Um, on Matthew 15 and I, about, uh, about the woman who had a daughter who's demon-possessed, right? And there was a contrast there. She was a woman of great faith, right? But then there was another story simultaneously, in the story before, not simultaneously, of, of Peter and the disciples 
and they were told they were of little faith. So disciples, little faith, woman, great faith. What was the difference? Well, in both stories, it says they worshiped. But you'll remember that in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples worship only when the storm stops and they're all in the boat. The woman worships when her daughter is still demon-possessed, her problem is not fixed, and yet she knows who God is. The difference between little faith and great faith is when you choose to worship. See, your dry times, they're not a disadvantage to you. I know, they're not fun. <laughs> That's not what you would choose, but they're not a disadvantage. Rather, they're a time that God wants to have you worship him just because of who he is and not because of what you see him doing right now. We know the cross. We know what he's done. But this is a chance for us to say, I love you, Lord, even though I don't understand. Don't you remember Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9? I'm sure you do. Maybe not the reference, but you know the verses. When the Lord says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. The heavens are high above the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God doesn't require you to understand what he's doing. But what he wants is he wants that worship in the dry time. Be encouraged. Just be encouraged. But that's not how the story ends, is it? You see what happens. They grumble against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And so he cries to the Lord. And what does the Lord show him? The Lord shows him a log, a log. This is fascinating because this is really going to be the answer for all of us too. And no, I'm not going to say you're going to go outside your house during your quarantine and find a log, but you're going to find a log. You see, look in your Bibles. Chances are that if your translation says log, you're going to have a little number by it. Maybe, maybe it says the word that's below. Look down below. What is that word log? It's the word tree. It's the word tree. In other words, God shows him a tree. And he says, you've got bitter water. You've got water you can't drink. You've got a solution that's not good. But I'm going to show you a tree. And you put that tree into the mix, and the water will be appropriate to drink. This is good news. You know why? For you and me, that's the way our lives were too. We tried our own methods, but they didn't work. We had bitter water. We were a lost soul, but God showed us a tree, didn't he? The tree of Calvary, the cross of Calvary. As it says in Galatians 3, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ died on a tree. He shows us this tree and he says, you throw that tree in the mix and you're going to find hope. Hope in your dry times. Now, you might be thinking, but I'm already saved. So what's the point? No, no, that's our problem. Our problem is we think the gospel is just the entrance into a life in Christ. Yeah, it's the portal. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and his death made the way, his resurrection brings us life. Yes, but it's just the beginning. See, the gospel isn't just about, oh, now I'm his and he is mine. It also shows me his beauty over and over because as I walk through dry times, I can know because of the cross that Jesus loves me more than I love myself. I can know that he drank the bitter cup and I'll never suffer one drop of condemnation from God because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see this great news? There was a tree thrown in the mix of my situation 
And I want to encourage you, same is true of you. And so as you're walking through your situations, are you looking at your circumstances or are you looking at the cross? Because the circumstances will confuse you, but the cross will clarify who you really are. And who you are is you're his, created in his image, love with an everlasting love, knit together in your mother's womb. He knows the plans he has for you, and they are beautiful. Not easy, but beautiful. And so, again, we see here that there is a log thrown in, and the water became sweet. But then there's more. There's more. Move on down a little bit further. This is where things, we can kind of bring things to a conclusion, because we have about 10 minutes left before we open for question answers. We bring things to a conclusion. What happens? It says there. You get that? The word there? There. Wherever you are, in your room by yourself, say there, <laughs> there. I'm, I can't hear you, but I'm trusting you're saying there, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. That's important. He tested them. But then what does he show at the end of the verse? He says, I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. Why is this so important? Why am I emphasizing it? Think about it. There. He revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, there, there, not somewhere else, there. It is going to be in the dry times. It is going to be when there seems to be no water. It's going to be in the moments that you wish you could have avoided. It's going to be there, there, that God shows himself in a very beautiful and probably unique way. Why do I say that? Jehovah Rapha? That's a name for God only used here in Exodus chapter 15. There's some other examples of this type of God showing himself. When you go to Genesis 22, you see God tell Abraham, I'm Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. What was the backdrop? It was a trial. It was a test. And what was it? Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. That, is that a trial? That's a trial. And yet it was there on that mountain that Abraham knew him as Jehovah Jireh. We have an example in Exodus 16, 17, a couple chapters from now. As they're in battle, what does God do? He shows himself as Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. Only in time that name is used, in battle. We see it with Gideon over in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, when he's called Jehovah um, Shalom. God is our peace. We see it in Ezekiel. I think it's chapter 48. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Here's my point. My point is that there, there, there is so important. It's there in your dry times that the Lord ministers his heart of intimacy with you. You can try to get out of it. You can complain about it. You can you can uh, claim it's just not ideal, but, but whatever you're walking through in that dry time and you're just desiring to come out, it's there. Now, you're probably asking the question, and I'm going to address it in the question and answers. How do I get out of that dry time? And, and I know that that's a question that, that you really want to see addressed, but here's the thing. I just want to go ahead of that. Look at verse 27. Then, then they came to Elam. You see, there was a there, but now there's a then. <laughs> In other words, eventually, they walked beyond this point of the dryness. They came to an oasis. They came to a point of refreshment. Then, you're going to walk out of this at some point, 
you'll come into periods of time where you maybe enjoy in a different way. Maybe there's more feelings involved. I don't know. And that's fine. It's great. Praise God for those times. Those are times of refreshment. I'm so thankful for that. I think Jesus Christ had that even in his earthly ministry and life that uh, he would go to Bethany and there were points of refreshment at the house of Martha and Lazarus and Mary. There were, there were just these sweet moments the Lord puts in our lives where, where we are refreshing him. But, but notice what's not in verse 27. That's what I want you to see. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. <laughs> There's water. There are palm trees. There are 12 springs of water. There's abundance. There's, I could say, more than they need. And you say, wow, that's great. That's where I want to be right now. But is it? You know what's not in verse 27? No revelation of God. No special name of God. No word of God. I, I know, I know. It, it sounds nice. But is it? Is that what we're seeking? Just ease and bliss? There's an old hymn that says, Shall I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? That... My friends, I know these dry times can be confusing, and the enemy wants them to be confusing. But you know what the Lord's name is oftentimes in Scripture? I'll give you one example of it. Turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. And you can find other examples of this. In fact, I encourage you, do your own study sometime. But just one name of the Lord. These are some of the names of the Lord maybe you don't think of very often. But again, I've trekked in the desert many times. I've done days straight in the desert, just walking. And it's amazing what happens when you see a tree. It might be an acacia tree. It might be, uh, it might be something a lot less, uh, let's say, less impressive, like a broom tree, which uh, really doesn't provide too much of what we're about to look at here. Or it might be uh, something like a tamarisk tree, which is um, much more uh, cool and big and, and like the foliage of it. But notice this name for the Lord and I'll apply it to all those trees. Psalm 127, ver 12, Psalm 121, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord is your shade. He's protecting you from the sun. Think about this. The Lord is our shade. Enjoy that, because if something's my shade, you know what that indicates? It indicates that there is a brutal sun as well. It indicates that I need relief. It indicates that I'm uncomfortable, but there is in the middle of that discomfort, the comfort of God. He's my shade. See, you probably have heard me say this somewhere. If, if you know me, if you don't know me, then that's great. You'll hear it for the first time. But if you want to know God, don't expect God to zap you with feelings of him and zap you with the knowledge of him. You see, if you want to know God as your provider, you might have to lose your job. You might have to go through a difficult time of need. And, and perhaps some of you watching this are going through that right now with COVID-19. 
and the surrounding elements to it. You know, if you want to know God as your comforter, you're going to have to walk through periods where he'll comfort you. I have a couple of friends, and I, I don't know if you're watching right now, but one of you just lost your dad to the coronavirus. The other one lost their uncle. And, and if you are watching, I'm so sorry. But at the same time, God's going to show himself as your comforter in ways that maybe you've never tasted. You know, you might want to know God as your healer. Well, you can't know him as your healer if there's no infirmity, nothing to heal. Maybe you want to know God as your resurrection and life, as John 11 tells us. Well, if you want to know him as your resurrection, my friends, you got to die. Do you realize that one day when I'm on my deathbed, or maybe I'll be being burned at the stake or getting my head cut off, I don't know what it'll be, but when I'm at that point of, of death, do you realize that I will be at the portal of knowing him more intimately and in a new way? I'll know him as my resurrection. You see, the very things that seem like obstacles, that seem like deserts, well, what does it say in Deuteronomy chapter 8? He leads us through these times to test us, to show what's in us, not because he doesn't know, but because as these things are revealed, he convicts us that we might be changed more and more into his image, into his likeness, that when the world sees you, they don't see you. But like Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw Peter and John, they said, these guys have been with Jesus. These guys have been with Jesus. Is that your story? Oh, be encouraged, dear friends. Be encouraged. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I, I want to just close with a couple of verses of what the Lord thinks about you in regard to all of this. And then we'll deal with the practicals and the questions that I know they've been asked. And I'm just not going to go there quite yet. So I want you to look at um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. And then Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Deuteronomy 32, verse 10. It says this. He found him. This is talking about the Lord's people. He found him in a desert land. Dry period of life. And in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Do you get that? It says that they were in the howling waste of the wilderness. Is that how any of you would describe your life right now? I'm in the howling waste of my life. This social distancing is the howling waste. My predicament is the howling waste. You, you might think that I'm talking and like everything's smooth in my life right now. It's not. I'll tell you right now, there's some howling waste in my life right now. But the end of that verse says, he kept him as the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. I am his, and he is mine. And then Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. It says this. I, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, all who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. See that? At the beginning, they followed him in the wilderness, in a land not sown, and he remembers their love as a bride. That's what I pray we all will come back to during this time. That the Lord's not looking 
for you to just, man, have it easy. He's looking for your trust and worship in your trials and testing. And in that, there will be a glory that God gets from your life. There will be a love. You saying, I love you, Lord. You realize that every time you surrender to the spirit, that you're saying, I love you, Lord. You're saying, Lord, you're worthy. Lord, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. Now, I'm going to stop there. And I'm going to let us start answering some questions. But I'm going to close with one question that was already asked. And here's a question. The question was this, can dryness be caused because of something I have done. Sometimes I don't feel the same excitement I had before in my relationship with God. Why is that? Can dryness be caused by something that we've done? Sure. Perhaps there's sin that we're refusing to deal with right now in our life. And you know, sin distances. But let me tell you something about sin. Sin in your life is not God moving away from you. Sin in your life is you choosing to move away from God. And so perhaps right now as we enter this question period, the first thing for you to do is ask the Lord, where am I intentionally disobeying you? What is there in my life that I know that this does not conform to your word? Because we have this idea where we're like, God, show me something big. The biggest thing God can show you is himself. And when he shows you how your life is choosing to reject him, that's the most important thing to respond to. Maybe you don't have a thankful heart. Maybe that's the conviction and the repentance that needs to take place. Maybe you have a complaining spirit. Maybe you need to go in your prayer closet and confess everything you've been complaining about. That could be the biggest step of your day, of your year. Because obedience now is the step that God wants. I absolutely believe some of you are experiencing dryness and it's dryness because you're choosing to live with sins accommodated. Sins you might say, ah, it's minor. How is it minor? Is there an area of your life where you're not living in holiness and you know blatantly that you're choosing to reject God's standard and you're doing it and yet you don't care? I just want to challenge you respond today to the Holy Spirit and that will be the first step to enjoin him even if he keeps you in the wilderness a little bit longer. All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go to questions and then at the end we'll close in prayer. Um, Ronnie, do you want me to read through some questions or do you want to pick out because there are quite a few and we will not get to all of them? Uh, right, uh, once again, uh, thank you Nate. I just go to another question. So, like I reminded before, uh, we have two options to go about questions. Uh, you can ask the questions to me or to Nate directly, and then uh, I'll read it out. And uh, if you feel like asking questions directly on the call, you can just raise your hands and the host uh, would uh, allow you to ask the questions by unmuting you. So, the first question, uh, it came quite a few times. What is the cause of dry time? Uh, dry times. That is, is it tough circumstances, ineffective ministry, or less intimacy with God? And if it is less intimacy with God, was there a time when Jesus was not 
intimate with God except on the cross? Yeah. Okay, great, great question. But we have to come back to what we said earlier because this is, if we miss this, you're going to miss it. You're going you're gonna to completely like uh, not see the value of dry times. Dry times can be because of something you've done. I just mentioned sin, right? It could be sin in your life that you need to repent of. But do not think that it means that there is something you've done. Jesus Christ was led into the wilderness. He, and can I say a dry time? Yes, because a dry time doesn't mean a sinful time. A dry time doesn't mean God's forsaken you. It's a test. And so, it, again, it can be because of sin, but Jesus Christ had no sin. So I can tell you for sure, Jesus Christ did not go through a dry time because of any sin in his life. So understand, yes, it could be because of sin in your life. Let him convict you. But if he's not convicting you of any sin, ask him, Lord, where do you want glory in this time? How can I worship you in this time? You don't have to worship him uh, from a perspective of, oh, I know why. You worship him because of who he is. You have a unique time. There's a book called The Screwtape Letters. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. C.S. Lewis wrote it. And it's a bit of a strange book um, in the sense that it's two demons writing to each other, but powerful. And it, it's kind of exposing tactics of the enemy. But at one point, the, the older demon says to the younger demon, he says, our cause basically, I'm paraphrasing, our cause is basically lost when our, our person, this person they're trying to tempt, um, sees no sign of God working and yet chooses to obey him regardless. In other words, the dry times are actually a platform to proclaim God's character and goodness in ways that maybe you wouldn't if you weren't in that time. So I agree. Ronnie's question uh, is not Ronnie's, the question Ronnie just read. Phenomenal question, but it could be that. Another thing that it, it, it could be is it could be the, just a call of God to get back to something. Um, I think at times he allows us to realize, hey, you're dry, but maybe it's not because you're not knowing more about Christ or experiencing it. Is that he wants you to have more than that and understand that complacency is an enemy of our soul. If we grow complacent in our Christian life, that's dangerous. If you're happy, if you're not in a place today where you're longing more for God, in the words, you're like, oh, yeah, there's no dryness in my life. You're in a dangerous place. Are you content with where you are in your walk with God? I'm not. I'm content with God, but I am not content with where I am in my walk with God. I want more of him. I want to enjoy him more. And remember this, God will not love you more than he already does, but you can enjoy his love more. And so I challenge you in that way. Yes, ask the Lord, is there sin in my life? But also ask him, what worship do you want from my life in this dry time? And you may feel like you've gone through it a long time, but my friends, chances are you haven't done 40 years. So don't think that you're going through something that is not common to man. And don't worry, 100 years from now, we're with the Lord. So this dryness isn't going to last too long. All right, next question, Ronnie. Uh, Godly, who's asking? Yeah, we'll have uh, Spurgeon Samson. Now, if you'd like to ask your question, you could come on video and audio, um, and you can just ask this question directly. Am I audible? I can hear you. Yes. 
as brother you said that uh, holy spirit can lead us to temptation means uh, first you were starting session in beginning of the session you were giving some examples about uh, abram and all then you showed that god was led by holy spirit to, in wilderness so holy spirit can lead you so means if we are going in a temptation or a dry time does holy spirit lead us in that situation or yes. you, you you are telling that it was it only for lord jesus christ no no that's a great question uh, so i'll repeat the question for facebook because i'm i, I don't think you can hear that very clearly um so basically the question in short was um can like is the leading into the wilderness is that really just the holy spirit doing it since he can't tempt us since he doesn't tempt us um or like was that only a case of jesus christ where the holy spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil but i, I think that that's the that's the point no i don't think it was only for the lord jesus christ yes the lord jesus christ um had no sin and he is alone in that holiness and uh and, and whatnot so there is an element of him being alone in his situation but uh, when we say the the Holy Spirit, this is Matthew 4, 1, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You got to understand here that he, the the Lord, the Holy Spirit is not, te is not tempting anyone, okay? He's leading Jesus Christ into the wilderness. But what's ultimately happening? He's being tested. And he's being tested just that he can be proven. If you're a good student, if you know your material, a test is a great thing, right? It's to show the authenticity of your preparation, the authenticity of your brain, okay? So you're not afraid of that test. You want to be tested, and it shows. It, Jesus Christ was tested, but always without fault. And those beautiful tests, if I can say it like that, were to show his character, show who he is. But simultaneously, as he was being tested and shown, the enemy is also tempting. Now, Christ never fell to temptation. But the same thing does happen to us. The Lord leads us into many periods of tests. Now, I might not say it like that in your life. I might not say, hey, Spurgeon, you're being led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. No, you're being led into the dry times, sure, to be tested by God. But you're going to be tempted by the devil as well. So when you read that passage, don't so much think the Holy Spirit is leading him into temptation. Um, he is leading him into testing. And at that testing, there will be temptation, if that makes sense. Again, this might be a little war on, uh, uh, war on the, the, the whole like words that are being used. But the point is both are happening and both happen to you as well. So the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us in such a way where there's no opposition. He leads us in a way that we have the opportunity to intimately know and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to him. Uh, all right, next question, Ronnie. Uh, why, I don't know if you covered this already. Uh, I've already mentioned a bit of it, but then just wanted to clarify. Why do I not feel as excited in my relationship with God as before? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it, it, I may have touched on it a little bit, but it's still a great question. Here's the question. Why do I not feel as excited about my relationship with God as before? I'm guessing a lot of you are asking that question. You've had these moments where, wow, um, I want to get back to that point I was at at one point in my life. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 2. 
Revelation 2, just for a very brief thought. I'm not going to go into much detail here. But the church at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus in many ways um, was an exemplary church. They had a lot of issues, sure, but they, they, they were thriving in many ways in a very perverse culture, very perverse. If you ever go visit Ephesus in Turkey, you'll see so many ancient ruins of temples and, uh, and pagan uh, deities that were worshipped there. But what happened in Ephesus? Jesus Christ commends them for many things, but then he says this in verse 5 or verse 4, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Notice the words. It says you have abandoned the love you had at first, or some translations say you've left. You've left your first love. Now, there are some translations that say you've lost, but that's not a great word to use in English because that's not really the idea here. The idea is abandoned. The idea is you've left. If I leave my keys somewhere, well, I know where they are. I left them in a certain place. If I've abandoned something or someone, I, I generally know where I abandoned them. And that's the picture being used here. We desire intimacy with Christ, but chances are the intimacy that we enjoy with Christ is not a matter of Christ actually not communicating. It's that we're so full of other things that we've... Um, that we're not enjoying him because, uh, frankly, there's no room. Um, and I want to challenge you, not as discouragement, but I want to challenge you. If you want to enjoy intimacy with Christ, he's not far off. He, he's near. He desires intimacy with you more than you desire intimacy with him. And, and I just challenge you, what, what, what would it take for... Uh, for you say, I really want that. I want to enjoy that love I had at first. Have you thought about going and locking yourself in the prayer closet during this quarantine and say, I'm not going to eat and drink until, Lord, I, I know you more. Until I, uh, I can say, sense your presence. Until you break my heart over, over sin in my life or over other souls around me. Go in there and camp out. See if five hours later, seven hours later, you're not, to, you're not starting to experience the powerful presence of God because I'm telling you that it is ultimately we leave him for other things. We abandon him for other things. And so that intimacy, though, don't confuse the intimacy with ease. Intimacy doesn't mean he's necessarily going to bring you out of the desert, but it might be like Mount Sinai where God shows you, uh, shows you his glory on top of the mountain. And then you continue on in strength, in, uh, in the strength that he gives you. So again, if you're walking through those times, I just want to encourage you that the Lord offers you that, in, that intimacy. But please, one more thing, and then I'll stop this question. And that is this. Enjoying Christ doesn't always mean um, that we're flooded with uh, just the feelings. Now, I, I've addressed this already, and I told you, sometimes my feelings line up with my faith, and, and I love it when that takes place, but my feelings can't control my faith. And so if you're walking through one of those periods and you spend time with God and you see his beauty and who he is, worship him for that. Remind yourself of his word. Remind yourself of what he's done. Write a psalm, just like the book of Psalms. Write a psalm. Say, the Lord did this. Give thanks to the Lord. The Lord did this. Give thanks to the Lord. 
But even when maybe your feelings still are not aligned with the truth that you know, just be encouraged that that is God continuing to give you that chance to walk through a phase of worshiping him, even if he doesn't answer prayers the way that you desire him to answer them at the present time. That is not a negative thing. So don't associate it with negative things, but rather associate it with a platform that God is currently giving you to glorify him. I hope that made sense. And if it wasn't clear, please let me know and I'll seek to um, share another passage of scripture. Thank you, Brother Nate. Um, so the second, the fourth question is again by uh, Brother Spurgeon Samson. Uh, Brother, you'd like to unmute yourself and uh, go ahead and ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. Am I audible? Brother Nate? Yeah. As, you know, as you were taking the session, so in a, in a, you said a small sentence that sometimes your soul is, your soul is saved, but your, your flesh is not, or your body is not. Was that correct? What I heard? Yes. That, yeah. Your, your flesh is not yet saved in that sense. Like one day it will be resurrected and you'll be given a new body. But right now you're still living in the flesh, which is why Romans 7 is so important. Keep going. So, no, that's what I relate my life with. That means uh, even though getting saved, uh, sometimes the situation comes like that, that uh, because of my deeds or because of the sin which I did, so it pinch Holy Spirit pokes me or emphasize me that even though being saved, you have done this sin. Means it raises a question on my salvation. So when I come to know that I have sinned, so means I feel very shy or has a type of hesitation to ask uh, means uh, to for, ask forgiveness to God. So can you to just explain me in which way should I face the Lord? in that situation or how should i respond to the lord let me clarify before you turn off okay um yeah because i want to make sure i have the question correctly how should i respond to the lord in times when um when i'm is it living in disobedience like i know that there's sin in my life or like how would you phrase that question in a short way yeah uh, that's what i'm doing as you said that our soul is saved, but uh, sometimes our flesh is our body or flesh is not yeah. saved. Yeah, in the okay. same way, in the same way that uh, uh, whenever means it is relating to my life that whenever I do sin, sin that the Holy Spirit emphasized me that you have sinned. That time I feel very shameful. So how should I respond to the Lord that time? Okay, great. Okay. So you can go ahead and mute, and I'm going to say your question again, um, just so the Facebook folks can hear it. So basically, how we understand this idea that our, our soul is saved, our spirit's been saved, we have a Holy Spirit living in us, but we still live in this body, a body of sin. Um, and as followers of Jesus Christ, even in Romans chapter 2, we're, we're very clearly reminded that, that now we have been made new. We're in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're a new creation in Christ, so therefore... The old has passed away, but all things have become new. So there is this spirit living in us where, where we are convicted of sin, but we still have the flesh, Romans chapter 7. So how, how do we live in obedience, but also um, shame, this is what was being mentioned, shame oftentimes seems to be the result. So what does this look like? Thank you for asking that question, because I think this is where a lot of us find ourselves. Um, first of all, in Romans chapter 6, 
Uh, it starts out, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Why? Because this is not just about, oh, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm in. If that's your perspective, you, you don't understand the gospel very well or you don't understand the gospel at all because it's not I'm just being saved from something. I'm being saved to someone. I'm being saved to a relationship with God. I'm an heir of God. Every spiritual blessing is mine in heavenly places. Like I'm in a relationship. This is a beautiful thing. So why would I want to intentionally um, have things in my life that distance me from enjoying the intimacy that God uh, wants to share with me through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so with that in mind, I want to address two different things that I think are important. The first thing is this assurance of salvation. You might, when you sin, first start to doubt your salvation and say, do I even belong to the Lord? Well, first of all, be encouraged that those who belong to Christ, he convicts of sin. So get excited when you're convicted of sin. That's God wanting to make you look more like Jesus Christ. And don't think that the world is just convicted of sin. Um, like they're convicted of, oh, wow, this is not holy living. Or, oh, wow, I'm complaining. and This is, does not glorify God. Those are thoughts the Holy Spirit brings to us. And so be encouraged by conviction of sin. But when you doubt your salvation, do not look back to the day that you prayed a prayer. Don't look back to the time that you walked an aisle or signed a card or whatever. Look back to the cross at Calvary. Look back 2,000 years ago and, and don't ask the question, did I do it right? Did he do it right? It, did, did Jesus Christ die for my sins? Did he conquer the grave? Did, did he actually drink that bitter cup of judgment? And if the answer is yes, the question now is, is my faith in that? Yeah, it's in that. Well, then if your faith's in that, he will in no wise cast you out. Nobody can pluck you from his hand. And so be encouraged that my salvation is not about what I've done or how well I believed or how much faith I had. It's in whom I placed my faith. And that's why Paul could say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That's the first side. The second side of your question, though, is I'm having these shameful responses. Well, let me, let me talk a little bit about shame. First of all, when Jesus Christ died, he didn't merely die for your sin. Of course, he died for your sin. But he also died for your shame. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And it goes back to the garden when, when they sin. What they first do, they try to cover themselves. But remember in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Christ endured shame on our behalf. And what is shame? Well, shame ultimately is, uh, is that, that, that awareness of who we really are. It's, it's like a being stripped. It's being a naked. Um, and oftentimes, our shame, though, is towards other people. And that's being naked towards others, like as in we're ashamed because we were found out. But the reality is there was shame before God because I am a broken sinner to my core. But the enemy, think about this, the enemy wants to use shame in your life, even though Christ already dealt with it. And I'll explain what I mean. He wants you to think that somehow your relationship with God is tied to your performance. What God wants to do is he wants to reveal the depth of your sin so that he can say in the depth of your sin, I love you and I want to change you and make you look like me. 
So when you're feeling shame, that's because you're looking at your sin. But start looking at your Savior and realize he doesn't just forgive your sin. He wants to redeem your past. He wants to take the things that were broken, and he wants to use them for beauty. But it's going to bring humility because you will be exposed before others. You will have this brokenness about you. But in that brokenness, they're going to say, wow, what a Savior. Think about it like this. There's an old hymn that says, great hymn says, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all a thousand more. Jehovah knoweth none. Think about it. In other words, the devil is saying, hey, you've sinned, you've sinned. Remember that sin? Remember that sin? And you say, hang on. I know them all. I know more than you're even saying. I know a thousand more, but Jehovah knoweth none. In other words, the enemy wants to keep bringing up what you've done, what you've done, what you've done. The Holy Spirit says, I want to bring up what Jesus has done. And that is a power that the enemy tries to use on us, but the cross and the gospel, it has no power. And so my question is, are you focusing on what you've done or what your Savior's done? Think about one more thing. Remember in John chapter four, when Jesus is talking to the woman who comes to the well, that Samaritan woman, and as he talks to her, he says, go call your husband. Is Jesus bringing up her sin to make her feel bad? No. She's, he's bringing up her sin to say, I know the depths of you, your heart, your wickedness, your sin. I know the depths, but I'm going to dig to the depths because I want you to know that at the depths, I love you. And right now, you might think that I only love you because I don't know you. So I need you to know that I know you and I love you. Does that make sense? Like God knows us to our depths and in our depths, he says, now that's who I love. I died for you. I dealt with everything. So don't think you're coming to me because somehow you got something slipped by. <laughs> I know you inside out. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's the beauty of our Savior, my friends. All right. I think we have time for about one more question. So Ronnie, pick one more out. Let's discuss it. And uh, we'll, I'll close in prayer. Oh, wow. Um... The, the big questions coming now, uh, Nate. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have enough time to read that, uh, but I'll forward that to you. Um, but you know what? Let me just um, ask the question which is here already. Uh, is how different is lukewarmness from dryness? And uh, also, if we fall into dryness, how often do we fall into dryness? Is it a season, and do we keep falling into it? Yeah, this is a question by. Uh, my friend Abhijay and myself. Those are phenomenal questions. So the questions over on Facebook here are, um, is there a difference between lukewarmness and dryness? And if we fall into dryness, is it something that we just will keep falling into? Um, uh, basically, that was the, the question. Let, 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 if I, I skip part of that, Ronnie, feel free to throw back in there and say I missed part. But let's talk first about the lukewarmness and the dryness. I'm not speaking dogmatically here. First of all, I'm going to acknowledge that I see so, I, I see a partial picture. Um, I'm not the authority. God's word is the authority. But in the way I see it in the word of God, uh, lukewarmness can be a cause of dryness, but dryness does not necessarily mean that it's lukewarmness. Does that make sense? So sometimes it is because we're lukewarm and so therefore we're dry. But just because you're dry doesn't even mean that there's necessarily a problem. Um, it, it could be that that is a period of life where the Lord's teaching you something 
that you will learn in that dry period. So again, I keep coming back to that. Don't feel like you're automatically distanced from God because you're in a dry period, but lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is actually one of the worst conditions to be in. And if you are lukewarm, I'm almost certain that you'll be feeling dry. And, and lukewarmness kind of goes back to what I was discussing in another question, and that is leaving your first love. And what happens in lukewarmness? You're trying to accommodate two things. You're trying to stand with Christ and stand with the world. What does it say in, uh, in James chapter 4, verse 4? He who makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It was to say in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and man or money. Um, the point is that you can't straddle both worlds. You'll love one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. Um, again, you can't serve both. And so when you think about lukewarmness, I think obviously immediately about uh, Revelation chapter 3 and, and the case of Laodicea, right? And God says, I wish you were cold or I wish you were hot, but since you're neither, since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And, and it goes on to say this. Um, it says, you think you're rich. You think you're clothed. You know, you think you have everything, but really you're blind, you're wretched, you're naked, you're miserable. And I think that that's where we do need to end. We need to end with thinking of we're, we're not self-dependent. We're not independent. Uh, we are completely dependent upon God. And the desert teaches us that lesson. In the desert, what did God show them? He showed them that man shall not live by bread alone. But what did they have? What did they have? They had to wait on manna every day. They had to wait for God's provision. They had to wait for him to bring birds. And they couldn't store it up for multiple days except on the day before the Sabbath. They had to get it every morning. It says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The dry times of life teach us dependence on him. Lukewarmness is dependence on self. So if you're dependent on self, I fully expect you to go into a dry time of your life. But the dry time of your life can also be a great blessing to teach you absolute dependence on God. And so just remember that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. A lamp shows us enough for the next step, doesn't show us the whole journey. God wants you to have to keep your eyes focused on him. You need a guide in the desert because all the rocks look the same, the sand looks the same, but we have a guide who takes us through this barren wilderness of this world. So the dry time is not meaning that you're being punished by God, but most likely, that you're being invited by God to enjoy intimacy with him in a unique and special way. So um, I'm not sure I fully answered that, but one other part to your question, sorry, do we go over and over into dry times? I'm gonna suggest yes. In fact, I think a lot of times we think of it as a dry time and then we're out and we fall back in. I want you to think of it differently. This world is a wilderness. This world is a desert. You're in the desert. You're in the wilderness. Think about it. But along the way, you will have oases. You'll have an oasis. You'll have the Elams, the place with the 70 palm trees and the 12 springs of water. You'll have those breaks. Be encouraged. But know that when you're being refreshed, the Lord is preparing you for the next test. He's preparing you for the next episode. I think we need to stop thinking about this world as a friend. 
We need to stop thinking about this world as something just to be enjoyed. We need to realize that we're on a, a journey, a journey of knowing him and making him known. We're in enemy territory. We are in a war zone. We are not in an environment that is, let's say, uh, easy to live godly. You're going to suffer persecution, as Paul told Timothy. So, Ronnie, I would answer that question by saying, you're not going to come out of the wilderness yet. You'll come out of it when you see the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there are oases. There are points of refreshment. There are points of beauty and enjoyment. But watch out. Just because you have shade right now, you're going to walk back out in the sun. But be encouraged. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Ronnie, any closing words before I pray? Uh, oh, no, uh, you, you could pray and then I could uh, give. Sounds good. I'll do that. All right, let's just pray and then Ronnie will close us out. Father in heaven, I want to say thank you that you are the God of the dry times and you're the God of the so-called flourishing times. Thank you, Lord, that your love never ceases. Thank you, Lord, that you never abandon your own. And Lord, for those that are in dry times right now and just feeling discouraged, remind them that our discouragement tends to be from what we see with earthly eyes, but may they turn their discouragement to the word of God and not look at what they understand of their situation, but that they would look at who they know in their situation, that you are faithful, that you love them, that you're the author and finisher of their faith, that you will do what you promised, that whoever comes to you asking for salvation, you will save. And it's not because they've done anything worthy of it, but it's because you, you have done everything for them. I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for such a great salvation that we have in him. And I pray that we would all leave this place encouraged, not because we feel better, but encouraged because we know what is true. We know who is true. And we realize that we have a platform in the wilderness to walk with you. So encourage us, dear Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.